It's time for the LaneCast with Montana's very own Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland, your voice for agriculture. Welcome back for today's agriculture conversation on the LaneCast Ag Podcast. I'm Lane Nordland, happy to have you joining us here today as we discuss a recent announcement by the Trump administration and the Department of Interior. That is that the U.S. government will be delisting the gray wolf from the endangered species list. When we come back, we'll be joined with the executive director of the Public Lands Council, Caitlin Glover, who was at the delisting announcement that was held in Minnesota. We'll be right back after these words. Farmers and ranchers, cattle feeders, stockers, auction markets, and processing plants are not only important components to the beef supply chain, they are an important tax base for rural America and are a provider of jobs and income in small communities across the nation. The coronavirus pandemic has sent shockwaves through the markets, communities, and our way of life. The National Cattlemen's Beef Association continues to work on your behalf each and every day with all levels of the supply chain and with government officials to get us through this crisis. We are all in this together. We hear you and we need your help to move this industry forward. As we return back today, Caitlin Glover, Executive Director of the Public Lands Council and also the lead for the NCBA's Federal Lands Division joins us. And she's actually calling in from the state of Minnesota, where on the 29th of October 2020, President Donald Trump announced uh, that his administration would be delisting the gray wolf and giving management back over to states and Native American tribes as well. It was a big day for conservationists, outdoorsmen, and of course, agricultural groups as well. Uh, Caitlin, uh, uh, what was it like to be a part of this event that was uh, announced by the Secretary of the Interior uh, here today? Lane, I, I can't overstate. This was such an incredible event today. We were standing uh, outside in Minnesota in just a late fall, early winter uh, here, about 35 degrees, a brisk morning where we were all celebrating uh, a real true success story of the Endangered Species Act. Um, too often we talk about the Endangered Species Act as a, as a punitive measure, as something that is is more of a stick than a carrot. But this was one of the times where we get to talk about a success under the act. And that success is decades in the making. Gray wolves uh, were first listed in the mid-1970s, uh, range-wide across, across the United States. Uh, and there have been a number of fits and starts, as many of your listeners listeners will know over the years, but today we have seen a, a, the finalization of a delisting rule to return those wolves back to state management. Uh, it, this is, this is the, the final verdict. The facts are in, the facts are clear, wolves are recovered, uh, and objectives have been met. It, it, was, it was an incredible event today. Um, of course, up in the uh, Montana region and the greater Yellowstone region and, and parts of Wyoming and Idaho, the uh, management of the gray wolf has been really turned over the states already and uh, uh, hunting management, livestock protection, everything has been put into place and those have been successful. So to see this complete uh, delisting of the wolf, turning it back over to state and tribal management is a real win, but this has not been an easy task, nor is it going to be easy. I'm sure this will be challenged in the courts. Uh, wh why is it so hard for some groups to understand that the endangered species list is a recovery effort and the 
goal is to remove them from the list when they're recovered. Ha- I, I'm sure this is a, a conversation that you've discussed a lot. It, we, we hit our heads on the table, I know, discussing it here in Montana. Uh, h- how do we need to do a better job, and how do we counter these groups that just want to keep a species on the list? So that's a great question, Lane. And and really, it comes down to the basic philosophical question of whether people trust the federal government or whether they trust the state government to manage wildlife species. Now, by and large, the general American public trusts states to manage wildlife. That's one of the many areas where states have primacy uh, and they manage wildlife very, very well. But for some, there is this ideological disconnection that that wolves are not wildlife or that the other ESA species are not wildlife after their initial designation. And really, it comes down to whether they uh, the American public and these special interest groups are comfortable with uh, anyone but the federal government managing these species. And for them, the answer is no. But for livestock producers, public lands, ranchers, sportsmen, uh, and and really, truly those state experts, the answer is a resounding yes. States are well equipped to manage wildlife, whether you're talking about mule deer, whether you're talking uh, about prairie dogs, or whether you're talking about gray wolves. Now states will have the opportunity nationwide to engage in those management activities and to demonstrate that proficiency. Their proficiency has been demonstrated over and over the last several years uh, by states like Wyoming and Montana and Idaho uh, with the delisting of that northern Rocky Mountain distinct population segment uh, in in various stages. Um, but, but really, I mean, this delisting rule allows other states to demonstrate the same, that they're prepared, that they're well-equipped, and that they have done all of the hard work necessary to make future management successful. Now, our friends in Colorado that are tuning in, they will... Uh... Uh, the agriculture community has been pretty much against the vote to reintroduce the gray wolf to the state of Colorado. Um, that's going to be decided this next Tuesday on Election Day 2020. Um, let's say that uh, resolution goes forward. Um, will this help cattlemen's groups, uh, the sheep groups, and just the advocates down in Colorado really have more of a say in the reintroduction of wolves if, in fact, that passes in the state of Colorado? So I think anytime you return a species to state management, that inherently means that livestock groups and those stakeholder groups in the state are going to have more influence, more say, and able to be more involved in those management decisions. Certainly the situation in Colorado is is challenging because it's it's sort of a microcosm of this this wolf discussion uh, where some groups just don't want to listen to science. They don't want to rely on that best available science and commercial data and and want to introduce introduce wolves uh, either where there are wolves or whether it's not uh, or where it may not be uh, ecologically appropriate to introduce them uh, simply because it makes them feel good. We need to rely on the science. We need to rely on those science-driven management plans and having wolf management at the state level nationwide is only going to be to the benefit of of our our livestock producer and and, uh, stakeholder groups. Um, will this be challenged in court? Can it be? 
so, so the answer is yes on both fronts. Uh, this is a federal rulemaking, and this, like other delisting rules in the past, um, are subject to litigation. They are subject uh, to that legal action. Uh, I have already seen uh, stories today uh, before before the delisting was was even final, uh, finally announced anyway, and um, the groups are, are expecting to challenge this in court. This is no different than the position that some of these groups have taken on previous delisting rules. But I am confident in the durability of this rule for a couple reasons. First, every every time we we and the administration and, and advocates for state management of wolves, every time we go through this process and demonstrate that the population is recovered, um, the, the, the court agrees that the, the population, it, it's without question that the population has recovered. Uh, there have been cases that have been overturned on, on opinion-based matters or on technicalities. I am confident in the durability of this rule, the content of the rule, and also that we are, are more well-equipped now. We have better science now than perhaps ever before um, to demonstrate that the population is robust and, and will continue to persist. The, the lawyers will do what they do. The special interest groups will do what they do. Uh, but cattlemen, cattle producers, sheep producers, we're going to be here to help make sure that this rule is durable and states are successful in management. Uh, just uh, over a week ago and on, on my podcast, I highlighted the uh, director of the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service, uh, Aurelia Skipwith, and she was up in Montana discussing grizzly bear management, and, and we discussed uh, how uh, certain states like Montana, Wyoming, Idaho have managed wolves and, and how they've also uh, seen a recovered grizzly bear population. What can our listeners expect uh Possibly, uh, again, next Tuesday is going to determine so much of uh, the Interior Department's uh, policies on endangered species like the grizzly bear. Um, I, I guess regardless of that, um, I know that's a big what if, but w what is the hope of the Public Lands Council when it comes to seeing the grizzly bear delisted and fully turned over to state management? So that's a great question. And, and I think that what we want is what we've always wanted is for the science to to tell the truth and, and for us to rely on science and law in these Endangered Species Act uh, questions, whether a species needs protection, doesn't need protection, and if they do need protection, at what level. So one of the one of the key factors here and and the distinction between wolves and bears particularly in that greater yellowstone ecosystem is the fact that the, the grizzly bear population is currently undergoing the mandatory status review what that means is that the endangered species act requires in the law itself it requires that uh, every every five years the administration conducts uh, a status review, sort of a status check on where the species is, where, uh, where, whether the level of protection is appropriate, uh, and and other factors that affect uh, population persistence. Now, that is required by law, and that's something that the administration is going through right now. And so, certainly, PLC and our producers are hopeful to to see a. a 
significant determination uh, that the the bears are recovered, that we have robust populations, and they no longer need protection, um, and that that determination is is informed by the best available science and that commercial data. Uh, I think anecdotally, we know, I think in modeling, we know and we're very confident that populations are robust uh, and that that management has been successful. Uh, but we're looking forward to the outcome of that status review as well. Uh, recently, uh, the NCBA, Public Lands Council, and the Safari Club International and Ducks Unlimited signed a MOU uh, uh, really aligning priorities when it comes to wildlife issues and the important role that uh, livestock producers play in a healthy um, uh, wildlife population. Uh, and, and we see the the uh, outdoor groups the uh, and conservation groups that came out in support of the delisting announcement. Uh, how big is the relationship, uh, especially with Safari Club International, uh, with uh, a delisting effort like this, having sportsmen come together with livestock producers to, to see a species recover and make sure that the law is actually being carried out in this situation? So whether it's wolf delisting or conservation efforts for other species or just general uh, land management, natural resource management principles, those partnerships are so important, Lane. Um, I can't overstate the the importance of having uh, strong coalitions, having strong partnerships, particularly when it's outside of your uh, your immediate circle of friends. Perhaps um, you take you take a look at these groups. You have Ducks Unlimited, Safari Club International, uh, the Public Lands Council, and the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Four groups that are are pretty disparate in their in their general missions. You have you know one is duck hunting and habitat conservation. You know one. Is, is general big game hunting, one is land management uh, and all of the associated uh, principles, and then you have a, a different livestock-oriented group. But all of these core groups care, uh, have that overlap in, in sort of that ideological Venn diagram, right? They all care, we all care, about healthy landscapes and healthy wildlife because it contributes to everything that we do individually and collectively. That also means that because we have those same principles, because we have the, the ability to, to have that bigger reach, um, we can reach different members of Congress. We can reach different segments of the population across the country. And we can have a, a conversation that is more compelling to a larger group of Americans um, because we, we are all on the same page. It's, you know, when you're outside of a conversation and, and you see people disagreeing, it's often hard to, to pick a side, if you will. But when you see a, a, a group that is or should be entirely disparate and you see them all agreeing, that's that's pretty meaningful for a lot of folks. Uh, and so it makes our lobbying more effective. It makes our policy more effective. Um, and and frankly, it's it's nice to have friends in Washington who are also friends in Colorado and Oregon and Montana and Florida. Uh, so those partnerships are incredibly important and will continue to be a focus for us uh, going into next year. Again, Caitlin Glover with the Public Lands Council. Uh, any last words that you would just like to, to share with us here today before I let you get back to your day and in uh, the cold, humid uh, state of Minnesota here today? 
Well, uh, but before you let me go, uh, get back to, to celebrating uh, in in this uh, chilly day, um, I, I just want to, to express my thanks and the thanks of our producers uh, to Secretary Bernhardt of the Department of the Interior, to Director Skipwith at the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service and their teams. Uh, this is not an easy issue that they have undertaken. This is uh, not uh, a comfortable space to, that they have waded into, uh, but they've done the hard work. They've had the conversa- the hard conversations, um, and and really, this is to the benefit of of all of us uh, across across the U.S. No matter whether you're a sportsman um, or or livestock producer or or other stakeholder. So uh, I I appreciate the ability to to share our story with you, Lane, and with your listeners, uh, and uh, we look forward to. Uh, making sure that this rule is durable and that state management of wolves persists long into the future. Again, Caitlin Glover, the executive director at the Public Lands Council, joining us from the state of Minnesota just after the Department of Interior announced that the gray wolf will be delisted and the control will now be sent to states and tribal governments. Again, uh, Caitlin, thanks for joining us here today. Thank you, Lane. All right, that will do it for today. I'm Lane Nordland. We'll catch you next time. Thank you for tuning in to the LaneCast with Talkin' Ag, Lane Nordland. For more on Lane, check out his Facebook page, Lane Nordland Ag Broadcaster and NordlandCommunications.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the LaneCast on your Apple or Android devices. We look forward to joining you next time on the LaneCast.